Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake and Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have uh, two guests. Um, from the Kill by Kill podcast, you heard her co-host on the pilot episode of this show, uh, and here she is for the season one finale, and that is Gina Radcliffe. Hello, Gina. Hello. And we have um, Amber Stewart as well. Hello, Amber. Hey, hermanos. And we're talking about Let Them Eat Cake, which is... The last episode of season one, it was broadcast on the 6th of June 2004, which puts it outside of the Nielsen window. So clearly a sign that Fox loved this show so much that they decided to put their finale outside of the point where it would count in the ratings. Uh, It's co-written by Jim Vallely and Mitch Hurwitz, both of whom I've spoken about a number of times this season. And this is the second and final episode um, directed by uh, Paul Feig. Uh, best known to people as a director of um, Ghostbusters, another number of other Melissa McCarthy films at this particular point in time. <laughs> um, and he started out um, on um, Freaks and Geeks, of course. Uh, we've had a few people from Freaks and Geeks appear in the episodes that he's directed. He will be returning for season two and season three. And so let me read you the summary for uh, this, the last episode of uh, season one. After learning that his father is in prison for doing business with the old Iraqi government, Michael decides to wash his hands of the whole family and leave town for good. Um, And I think that's kind of pretty accurate. This is the first time that we find out that the business was being done with um, Iraq. We've had little hints towards that. And obviously um, we get a flashback to George Sr. saying the words light treason. Um, but the weird thing is, at the time when George Senior said that he, you know he may have committed some light treason, um, the show didn't have these back nine episodes, so they didn't really know if they were going to pay that off. So <laughs> they just kind of put that in there, and then when they got around to figuring out what George Senior was guilty of, because up until this point we've had a number of different government agencies mentioned, we've had you know um, people in vans washing dogs and we've had people with microphones in their nipples and we've had various different kind of like i don't know the government have been investigating the bluffs but um i don't know it just seems odd they arrested george senior at the start of the season so they must have had something on him they must have had some reason to arrest him um you know they froze the assets all that kind of stuff and yet we got to the end of the season and it's only now that we're kind of figuring out what they're going to charge him with and even then it's not 100% clear because you know george senior like he kind of doesn't really admit to the light treason to anyone other than michael in kind of a whisper um so this is this is really the start of the whole iraqi storyline and that will dominate season 2 and um, you know, season three, and and you know they'll they'll tie it up with the with the final episode of season three, um, or penultimate episode, should I say, of season three? Um, but yeah, so you know, we that's the kind of the origin of that. Uh, it's worth noting that this is the final appearance of Trisha Thune, um, Fox reporter. Um, I don't know why they didn't use a uh, John Beard. Obviously, keeps going for seasons two and three, but I don't know why they didn't use Trisha Thune. After this first season, um, you know she she appears she appeared in um, the pilot and then she appears in this and she's appeared in a couple of episodes in between. Um, yeah, she's the first person to say uh, "gob bluth" instead of "job." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so she kind of originates the joke uh, of mispronouncing his name. You would, you would have thought um, that he would have come up with a, you know, a weird aside of what happened to her, like in the next season or something like that. Just you know, sort of mentioning offhandedly yeah. that you know, and you know, some sort of bizarre. You know, she gets taken out of a bizarre accident or something like that, like a meteor hitting her car or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice if they'd have done something to explain why she left or but no they just she just kind of gets written out um she just doesn't appear again she just Um, stayed to cover the iraq war you know she's hanging out with all those american soldiers (laughs) yeah probably yeah that would be a good explanation if she was now overseas yeah um yeah she i mean saying that yeah she was walking around the mini palaces so yeah something might have happened to her tragically over there i mean those houses just shoddy construction <laughs> she could have like yeah, we find out walked on a walked onto a porch and like fell through the porch or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, we can assume they, they do have a they do have a tendency to build on sinkholes. So <laughs> yeah, I mean they call it Sudden Valley for a reason. Um, oh, man. But before we get deeply into the plot, uh, I'm just going to ask both of you, and I'll start with Amber. Um, when did you come to Arrested Development? Did you watch it when it was on TV? Did you catch it on DVD? Did you? find it later on on Netflix. Let's see. I definitely remember watching this in high school. I graduated in about 2004. So looking at this now, I'm like, yeah, this was my senior year. And so that was when I was watching a lot of TV to avoid any and all responsibility. And I remember trying to get my friends to enjoy it and watch it as well. But Fox kept shifting it around the schedule or they just made it impossible to find. And I know there are at least two of my high school friends who also love Arrested Development. So I know that we connected to it then in some way, but I definitely became a deeper fan of it in college when people would have the DVD sets. And so we would just watch it repeatedly. I went to school for architecture and so we would be in studio all night and you could just always hear someone like, like vaguely in the background. (laughs) Are just people watching the show to distract themselves from like the horrors of being awake at 3am working on a drawing. And Gina, did you watch it when it was on air or did you come to it later on? I, uh, I watched the first couple episodes when it originally aired and then I have a, I still have a bad habit of if I miss an episode of something, I'll just like, well, that, I guess I've given up on that and I don't really go back to it. And then I think they ran it on, on FX, I want to say some years later, um, there was a channel that ran episodes of it later in the evening. I mean, after it was already, it was it wasn't in first run anymore, obviously. And I watched some more of the episodes then. And then once it came to Netflix, I more or less just kind of filled in what I missed because you you kind of can't really jump from episode to episode. <laughs> it's a little hard to follow if you uh, <laughs> don't watch them um, consecutively. But um, I did eventually watch the watch them and you know, managed to pick up on all the ones that I'd missed. Yeah, I think it was, from what I can tell, it was broadcast on FX in, like, 2010. Right, that sounds about right, yeah. When they they also um, started broadcasting um, American Dad and uh, Family Guy, that kind of stuff. So they basically had, like, a load of the Fox Half Hours that they started showing. Yeah, so, well, let's get into the episode then. Because I would say this, there's not really uh, a great deal of plot in this episode. Uh, Mostly we're concerned with what Kitty knows, although no one wants to know what she knows. They just want to know what she wants. Mm -hmm. Um, The polygraph test, which um, the the government want Michael to take 
and they do not want Job to take. They don't want to know anything about Job. They don't really care about Job, <laughs> which is a big theme in this particular episode. Much to his sh- much to his chagrin, they don't care about anything he has to say. Oh <laughs> we've had we've had hints over the season. You know, uh, Lucille says she doesn't care for Job. Um, you know, George Senior only uses his namesake to break into places, basically, <laughs> and take a bullet for him. That's that's the use he has for Job. Um, you know, and obviously George Senior doesn't think that highly of Buster. We we you know we found out in one of the episodes from a flashback that George Senior was intended on getting rid of Buster from the family home. Um, after he retired, and obviously um, we find out in later seasons that Lindsay is basically an afterthought of um, both of the, uh, the 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 Bluth parents. So basically, Michael is the only one they have, um, and they've even said, you know, that they they raised a good one and that they did something right with him. So, you know, and he is the one who is in charge, and you know, he's the one that is going to be taking the polygraph test. Um, but before we can get to that point. Uh, we start off with, bizarrely enough, John Beard just announcing that low-carb diets are sweeping the nation, <laughs> and and it, it's such a it's such an odd way to start the episode because you know obviously this is this is from a time when the Atkins diet was like at its height of popularity. Yes, um, and I don't know if it's simply because uh, they wanted to kind of tie something into the whole like banana stand thing, um, you know, but. I don't know. It's just such, a, it's such an odd thing for them to do, yeah, and, and I never really... understand why they did this joke just for this one single episode, basically. Yeah, and it really roots them at that specific place in time. Like I remember, just all those diets were all the rage, like Atkins and South Beach, and just everything. And I also remember people making fun of the do- the guy who invented the Atkins diet, like Fatkins or something like that, because he was apparently incredibly overweight, which. Is probably a byproduct of eating a lot of bacon all the time, which is my ideal diet, to be honest. It just, yeah, it seems odd. I, I actually was on the Atkins diet for a little while, a little bit before this, probably maybe 2000, 2001. And uh, they got a lot of the, the details about it surprisingly well, because... Um, you do get very angry and testy when you don't have carbs for a couple days. And you do, at least then, nowadays, like, it's it's not at all a weird thing to see a carb-free option, even like a fast food restaurant. But when this started, you you had to ask, like, does this have, what's the carb count? Can I get this without the bun? You know, how many carbs are in a piece of fruit? And, and you know, a lot of times... You know, you would go to like a restaurant and they would just look at you kind of baffled. It's like, you want a hamburger without a bun? What, you want us to wrap it in lettuce? What now? And and, <laughs> and, and now, like, now it's, it's, you know, a lot of places are, you know, heavily promoting that kind of thing. Even though it's not supposed to be a lifestyle diet, you're, you're not supposed to never have carbohydrates. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it turns out that's not good for your body. And yeah, you shouldn't be on a, you know, very meat heavy diet at all times. But yeah, I, I really, even though it, it really wasn't all that relevant to the episode, I kind of honed right in on the certain aspects, like just the, 
you know, them blaming their moodiness on not having any carbs and, and, you know, every, you know, it, that's kind of how we're introduced to Anne. She goes to the banana stand and asks if the banana, what's the carb count on a banana? And, and you know, obviously you're not going to have a, you know, a banana based dessert if you're on Atkins. And it's just, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but, you know, pick up on that and, and find that the most amusing aspect of the episode, even though it had nothing to do with the plot was never mentioned before, never mentioned again. Do you know what's weird though is bananas are surprisingly high in carbohydrates. Oh, they are. They're loaded they with. Are. They're loaded with sugar. <laughs> loaded with yeah. sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. They are like they are like twenty three percent like carbohydrate. Yeah, you, I had literally no grams, idea. You, you can't you can't have any yeah. you can't have any fruit on Atkins, and that's why it's not a, a healthy diet. You can't have fruit, and there are a lot of vegetables you can't have. Because there's a lot well, of- in 2004, <laughs> in 2004, that might have been true. But um, since the death of Dr. Atkins, um, the organization that runs that has basically advised that there are actually foods that you can eat uh, that do have carbohydrates in. And they encourage you to eat fruit and vegetables as raw as possible or as close to raw as possible. Um, so that you can you can have like you're allowed, basically allowed those carbohydrates, but you're not allowed like processed sugar or anything like that. That's carbohydrates. Yeah, they they've mod- um, they, like sounds like they've modified it to be a little more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> okay. that basically you don't lose muscle mass and die. Um, I think is the is the reason for modifying it. So. <laughs> okay, Darren. Um, but what about macaroni? Let me finish. Salad. <laughs> Yeah, no, that wouldn't be possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's, I think it's a funny. I mean, obviously, knowing how much carbohydrate is in bananas, I think it's a funny joke because you know it, it, it it's like the only thing that makes money for the Bluth family is the banana stand. So this diet would have, <laughs> as, as they as they say, some local businesses are being left in the dust. And it's funny because we see that, and obviously, this sparks the conversation between George Michael and Michael. Uh, sorry, yeah, George Michael and Michael, where they're gonna they're gonna watch. George Michael's appearance on television um, uh, when Michael says I'll make some popcorn and uh, George Michael goes oh cool uh, to hell with Atkins <laughs> it's, it's like, and he's like oh yeah no <laughs> so he says he'll fry up some bacon which doesn't seem like the appropriate food to be watching something on television with but anyway yeah so you know like we see like that George Michael has been interviewed and that's what they're going to watch on television and obviously this will be the start of George Michael's girlfriend getting between him and his father but before we get to that you know we have the model home falling apart when um <laughs> as I think is it one of the, like stair it's like one of the stair things on the like the yes the, the, the banister kind of landing yeah, just like falls off, <laughs> and it seems like it seems like Michael is blaming George Michael for that. But then the TV, the frame on the TV falls off and knocks the speaker off, and and he, I uh, love how he goes. That's that's probably not your fault. <laughs> Only probably. <laughs> yeah, it's like I just, I just love that. I love how he, you know, he's he's not he's not blaming it. Um, and we, this is where you find Job and Lindsay are both in the model home and Job says, nothing works in this house, to which Michael says, tell me about it, um, <laughs> which is one of those great, uh, arrested development kind of double meanings, um, where, where, where Lindsay says, is that a shot at me? And then Job's like, probably, um, 
it's just such a great this is this is like um you know one of the, the, the in terms of the, the like the the season this is probably one of the best episodes for just kind of interaction between all the the different um siblings because you know we get here three of them and and later on we'll get Buster and Anyong who at this point Anyong has to be considered one of the siblings um and we kind of see them constantly fighting and there's you know there's just a lot a lot of back and forth between the family this is one of the kind of quippier episodes basically there's a lot of kind of uh different shots but we get some kind of weirdness where Job seems to miss hear something and it leads to this really weird running joke which in season four will dominate like two whole episodes oh my god that's right where where um lindsay says she's she's got a job and she doesn't say specifically what it is but she just says the words beads to which job says bees and lindsay corrects him and says beads and job says beads <laughs> and, and this this interaction only ends when Michael says Job's not on board, which I think is funny. But it's like you know, it's just the angry way he says beads too. Like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, beads. I just I I. <laughs> and Lindsay says, you know, she needs some startup money, and I love how Joe goes. I'm in, but we're gonna need a lot. Beads aren't cheap. Are beads cheap? And I love how quickly he is, he's in, but he, he doesn't know exactly what he's getting into. Um, and obviously this is where Michael's like, shouldn't you be in bed? And I, I just love how, um, you know, he doesn't, Michael doesn't expect any of his siblings to ever be contributing anything. So he's kind of surprised when they are. Um, and then obviously, you know, this is where we, we find, um, we find out that Job thinks he's going to be asked um, to take a lie detector test. Um, to use as evidence in uh, Dad's trial, he says. And he says, what if they ask about a magic trick? I, I can't risk it. Which is, like, no one's going to ask him about magic tricks. I don't know why he thinks they would. Um, and I love how Michael's just instantly like... They're not going to ask you anything. They want me to take the polygraph test. And I love how Job says... But I'm the oldest. The matriarch, if you will. I like I like how no one even bothers trying to correct him or anything. It's just not worth it. And you know, everybody knows that one person just says something stupid all the time. It's just like, yeah, you know, I'm not even just gonna. I'm not gonna waste the breath that we're required to correct this person. It's like, yeah, sure, you're the matriarch. Got it. And this is where Job decides he's gonna start his own business, and he says, "How hard can it be?" And he starts buzzing, <laughs> and then he keeps going about. We'll see who brings in more honey. Buzzes off, and Michael just goes. He's thinking about bees again. <laughs> but I love, I love how easily confused he is by the whole, the whole bees beads thing. It's just such a weird, and it gets stuck with him as well. Where he, he just, he just seems so fixated on bees that like no one can kind of push him off this course. And apparently, it apparently, it apparently carries them around with him. Just <laughs> yeah, the worst. <laughs> With disastrous consequences later on. Um, and we get a brief insight here into some businesses that Lindsay has previously had, um, which includes Mommy, What Will I Look Like? Uh, which is a photo-enhancing service which gave new parents a glimpse at what their infants would look like in half a century. Um, you know, Bye. which didn't work because she explains, you know, you put an ugly kid in, can't be surprised when an ugly adult comes out. Um and I love the fact that actually, Mommy, What Will I Look Like will be used um, in future episodes 
there are a number of times in future episodes where um, particularly Kitty will or or Michael will say, imagine what our children would have looked like. <laughs> and there will be a quick flash to a, a photograph that will form a, like a composite of what Kitty and George Sr.'s child would look like. <laughs> and underneath it says, mommy, what will I look like? <laughs> As like the credit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because... Uh, the, because that, that's a slightly different service. Like, taking two adults and trying to tell them what their child will look like is different to, to telling you what an old, like, what a, a baby will look like when it gets older. But, you know, it's just a, it's just a joke that they, just, they, they, they call back to in, in future episodes. And, you know, we also find out about um, uh, Dipperpet, I think, <laughs> is the name of the other God. business, where she wanted to, to die animals um and you know it, it wouldn't have worked it didn't it didn't work because um you know michael wouldn't spring for a large enough sink so you see this half died dog run out of a out of whatever the facility is <laughs> you, know, you know if they've gotten a bigger um, sink that 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 company might have worked because people do that kind of thing now they dye their pets it's, it's a thing now. oh yeah i mean i I was at PetSmart just yesterday and I saw someone who had dyed their dog to look like it was wearing a saddle. I have no idea why. <laughs> that that's, that's seems mean, like something you'd see on, on, on Arrested Development, just a dog with yeah. a saddle. <laughs> it wasn't even a particularly large dog. Didn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, I've seen a, I saw a picture of somebody whose cat was dyed. I'm like, how the hell did a cat, like, a cat tolerate being died i just don't even imagine that no no that's that's not something that unless they sedate the cat which you know you wouldn't want to do i guess you really give um, it some heavy duty catnip maybe and this is where we find out that there's still problems with Lindsay and tobias's marriage she says he's completely oblivious he's got no idea how i'm feeling or thinking um and then obviously this is where Lindsay says i mean how do you how do you not have sex with me and michael says it is a struggle um <laughs> She says, um, you know, before you know it, I'll be in the red and you can take that to the bank. And he says, I'm sure they'll contact me first. <laughs> so she doesn't even realise what being in the red means. And, oh, God. And this is this is where Kitty calls Michael and this will start the main kind of uh, plot from that side. Um, but in prison, we, we find out that no one else in the Bluth family has any idea why anyone would want a bee as a gift. <laughs> Job, Job is trying to suggest to his parents, you know, that he can make money from bees. And, you know, he says, I don't know, honey or just as gifts. To which Lucille says, would want a bee as a gift. Um, which is such a great question and then obviously you know we we get Anyong and Buster in the waiting room once again because they were in the waiting room a few episodes ago where Anyong is you know they they're kind of competing over who can get a girlfriend <laughs> which oh is God. such a such an odd thing for them to be um competing about um and obviously you know Michael asks Buster why he's not going in there and of course um uh, he says that he's keeping Anyon company, and then they start fighting over a bagel. Um, I say he's raging, raging without the carbs. I, I get uh, that. Yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, that. yeah, fighting for the bagel. But uh, Barry, uh, this is one of the scenes that plays on the DVD menus, and I've mentioned a few times when stuff plays on DVD menus because these are generally the ones that just keep looping over and over while I'm just lying there, getting ready to either stop the DVD or put a new disc in. Um, and we get Barry greeting Michael saying... Our star witness, come here. Oh. Good to see you. You know what? Don't get too close to me, because I've got an itch you can't believe. I think something laid eggs on me. 
Oh, God. And he gave him, like, a little kiss, too. Like, how is that a lawyerly thing? <laughs> you know, I I, I work. I got to tell you, I, I work for an attorney's office, and they you, the conversations I overhear sometimes are unbelievable. I, I would have no problem <laughs> believing that, you know, an attorney who's known somebody for a while would be like, yeah, don't come near me, you know, got an itch like you wouldn't believe. That's, I would I could buy that. I could absolutely believe that. Yeah, I mean, Michael's like, thanks for the heads up, but obviously it was too late because that's not a yeah. heads up. After you hug someone, that's not the heads up, is it? But yeah, and we, we find out like the details of the polygraph and obviously, you know, Job announces to everybody, I won't do it. I'm afraid of what I might know. Which George Senior says, "You, no one wants you." He goes, "He goes." Does anyone want him, Barry? Barry's like, "Who would want him?" And Lucille just finishes by saying, "They don't want you." <laughs> all of them. Just the sheer cold-blooded like smile on her face too was that was just so great. <laughs> they don't want you. Like, oh man. <laughs> Job's, I don't care for Job was never clearer than in that moment. <laughs> but I do, I love that, like you know, they Michael explains that he got the call from Kitty. Um, <laughs> Job goes into he does this so many times during this episode where he goes into this, like a long speech. And he says, uh, And now I'm expected to climb back on top of Kitty and do my thing again. I mean, this family runs into problems. It's, oh, let's have Joe b- our way out of And I love how everyone gets, like, really kind of, like, put off. And they're like, you know, Lucille's like, what's the matter with you? And it's just like, it's so funny how he keeps thinking that he's involved in the business in some way and he doesn't realize that he's not at all. I just, I just, love, the, I just love the implication that this is something he's had to do before and... And he's just gonna, you know, exasperatedly go ahead and do it again. Just, you know, use his body to get his family out of trouble. <laughs> he did, though, didn't he? Earlier in the season, that's the whole glasses up, you know, glasses off, hair up, hair down, glasses oh, on. Like yeah. all of that was that was Job trying to get information from Kitty. Oh, right, yeah, that's um, true, that's true. But now, but but you know, yeah. now he thinks this is this is his uh, his role in the family now is the. Uh, yeah, it's odd that As the he matriarch. thinks that, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's odd that he thinks this is something he'll have to do, like not just with Kitty, but with something else. Like that seems to be the implication is that it's not just Kitty. Mm-hmm. But I do love his turn of phrase where he's like, "Climb back on top of Kitty <laughs> <laughs> and do my thing." And, and obviously, you know, they, they Michael asks, you know, what does she know? And George Senior's like. No, no, we got to keep you nice and clean. You know, which I think is kind of... This is about the most honest that George Senior has been throughout this first season. Because most of the time he just basically lies to Michael and kind of tries to hide stuff from him. But here, he's kind of right in that he doesn't... Michael doesn't shouldn't really know what Kitty knows because then he'll be forced to kind of testify to that. Um, obviously, polygraphs are complete and total nonsense. Mm-hmm. They literally are worthless, and no one would ever use anything in a polygraph in a court of law in any way. And they haven't done for decades. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's you know it's a it's a funny thing to put in a TV program. But whenever I see anything, you know, if it's not a comedy show and they're using a polygraph, I always think to myself. I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know why this nonsense still pervades because they are literally worthless. They're so easy to fool and they tell you absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I think it's just the visual of like the little needle going up and down. People love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for this episode, it, George Sr. is actually using it as a way to get out of prison. So I can kind of understand why it's used here, but I don't understand why Michael, who is a fairly sensible person, would even think that... 
being made to take part in a polygraph would be a sensible thing. Like, (laughs) no one can compel you to take one. So, and they're also rarely even used. I mean, I don't think they've been admissible in in any courts for decades. So, I don't know. It's just something that pervades and irritates me. Um, (laughs) But we get the scene finishing with Job revealing that, you know, he's got his own business. But I kind of got my hands full with these bees. As he takes out a jar of bees. I don't know why he's got the bees on him. And I don't know how quickly he's got these bees, because it was literally the morning. <laughs> and, and, how, and how did he get past being searched for going into the prison? They didn't find this jar of bees on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love how the guards take him down. He's got bees! Oh, bees! And Lucille, of course, just finishes by saying, "They don't allow you to have bees in here." <laughs> Seems like such a... that is one of my all-time favorite things. I didn't even, as I was rewatching <laughs> this episode before we recorded, I realized I could quote so much of this because just the whole bee sequence is one of my favorite <laughs> things, and especially with the callbacks. Just they don't allow you to have bees in here. That's something that people know. I say to them, it doesn't even have to reference bees. <laughs> I was like, oh no, they don't allow you to have that in there. And they know what I'm talking about because I just talk about this. <laughs> I love it. And this is this is kind of like the most amount of family that we've had at the prison for quite a while. Like, um, not since like, uh, I don't know, like in, in God We Trust. Like, it's been a while since there's been the whole family together. Um, so it's nice to see them all around the table, even if they are basically all picking on Job um, for the entire scene. Um, and this is where we meet for the first and bizarrely enough for the last time, um, uh, Alessandro Torresina. Uh, I think she 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 was only she was billed as Torreson for this episode, but she's now billed as Torresani. Uh, either way, she is she is playing Anne Veal for just this one solitary episode, <laughs> and um, you know she asks. Are bananas high in carbohydrates? Um, in the in the flattest possible way, <laughs> with kind of no emotion, <laughs> and you know this is where George Michael reveals that he was interviewed for hindsight with John Beard, and he says I gave them a joke, but I don't know if they're going to use it. And we get a cut away to the to George Michael like on a TV screen, like with a playback, and he he says thanks to this diet craze, the last time we had a customer, the banana stand was still green, <laughs> and then. Jo- <laughs> John Beard, John Beard mercilessly says, lose it. No, lose the whole kid. We'll just go with the Iraq piece. That's a shame. That, that's a, shame. That's a solid joke, especially from a, from a kid. I think that was, I think they should have left that in. Seriously. That's a- yeah, I, it seems a little cruel to cut it, but obviously the whole Iraq thing becomes very important by the end of the episode. Oh, yes. Um, so it's funny because obviously, you know, Michael is only going to be watching the episode because he thinks George Michael's going to be on the program. But then he sees all the stuff about Iraq and figures out exactly, uh, you know, what was going on with with George Senior. So it's interesting that, you know, him wanting to do one thing ends up leading to him seeing another thing. Um, but which is, you know, it's a nice little way for them to set that up. Uh, but obviously, you know, this is where George Michael gains a girlfriend in Anne. Uh, where she offers to have him come over to watch the the hindsight thing um, at her house. Um, I I don't think we get another scene with uh, Alessandra in this episode. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all you see. She's mentioned later, but this is that's all you see of her so far for the for the until the next season. Yes, when she will be recast um, and a different actress will play her. I just thought it'd be nice to talk a little bit about. Uh, Alessandra at the time billed as uh, Torres San, 
but now Torsani. She was uh, she was a regular on Caprica um, a few years after this, um, and she was also on the, um, the the web series Husbands. If either of you are familiar with that mm. uh, particular show, no, um, which was <laughs> which was not. co-created by. Co-created by Jane Espenson, who was a um, high-ranking writer for Josh Whedon on Buffy, and uh, and she she went on to work on Battlestar Galactica and um, Torchwood, and she's she's been a writer on Game of Thrones. But yeah, I mean, it, it was only like a, a little kind of web series that ran for a few seasons. But she most recently, uh, Alessandra was on The Big Bang Theory, and she was. She was one of Raj's girlfriends. In season nine, Raj had two girlfriends, one of them played by her, and another one played by another actress who name, whose name I can't remember. But yeah, so I'm assuming the Big Bang Theory probably pays quite well. Probably a lot better than a, uh, a lot better than Husbands, which was just like a web series that was practically done for free. But yeah, so she's had moderate success since leaving since being on one episode of Arrested Development. Um, most recently, I saw her on an episode of the Fox TV show Lucifer, uh, where she played like a like a drug, drug addict's girlfriend or something. Do you know why they they recast it with Mae Whitman? I don't know. No, hmm. I think it might have just been that they didn't feel that she was right for the the role, and um, you know they they just wanted a, a different actress and they kind of just went with Mae Whitman I, I I from what I understand having listened to the commentary on the on this episode essentially they didn't really think they'd be bringing Anne back as a character so I'm guessing they didn't secure her with any kind of contract so I'm you know she she was doing quite a bit of tv work uh, around the time of 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 um of this episode so it might have been she just wasn't available and they just recast it. Interestingly enough, she also appears in the film uh, The Runaways with Alia Shawkat. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, um, I think I remember her in that now, yeah. So, um, and of course, you know, Dakota Fanning and uh, and Kristen Stewart. So, yeah, you know, she's done okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good for uh, her. But she only basically gets this one scene and they just kind of introduce the character of Anne and then obviously later on, you know, they, they'll they kind of expand it. But yeah, so... And then we move on to the... <laughs> the series of scenes that will be played out between the different Bluth boys and uh, Kitty. As she meets, first of all, Michael. Um, who, of course, was hesitant... He's hesitant to meet her because of how their last meeting ended. <laughs> uh, where, you know, she, she insisted he say goodbye to these. Um... And then obviously Michael starts out by saying, uh, I guess I do get to see them again, huh? And Kitty says, can we please have one conversation that's not about my rack, Michael? <laughs> Which, you know, she is she is the one who exposed herself like four times to him during the spring breaks. So, I, I, you know, I think I don't think he's completely blameless. Um, and she wants to be in charge of the Bluth Company, um, you know, and this is this is the first part of the uh, like a little running gag that they have just for this episode aside you know next to the Akin stuff which is uh, little title cards that are just all white and they just say footage not found 
<laughs> and when when Kitty says that um, George Senior promised her the company when he went before he went into prison, we get the, the the first occurrence of this footage not found. And you know, Kitty then tries to say what Michael was doing. Uh, sorry, what George Senior was doing. And Michael is like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> and then he, then he, he's like, you know, he he finds out that, that they they didn't pay um, taxes. Although Kitty says model homes, Michael overseas, so she's kind of hinting and saying that he hid it from the government. Um, and then Michael's like, um, you know, he's been hiding back taxes, and of course he's like, well, you know, we'll we'll just pay them then. <laughs> and I love how he <laughs> phrases it by saying, we found money for those, meaning you know. Kitty's breast enlargement. Uh, we'll find money for taxes. Good to see you. And then he leaves. And obviously, Kitty's like, "Yeah, if I was in charge, that would have been my first move too." <laughs> so obviously, she's been for the first time. She's been outwitted by Michael because Kitty seems to have had the upper hand on Michael for the entire season. Every episode, she seems to know more than him, and she won't tell him. And it's just kind of like this weird power dynamic that they've had. And this is the first time. You know that um, that he's actually managed to get the upper hand on her, um, and then obviously as as Michael returns home, he, he sees uh, George Michael going out, um, and he's you know going off to uh, as the narrator says he's heading out to meet the girl from the banana stand. So I don't think they they don't I don't I mean they she says her name's Anne, but it's odd that the narrator doesn't bother to say her name again, um, <laughs> as if as if viewers wouldn't be clear on who they were talking about, and obviously you know. George Michael leaves, and this is where we see um, we get the introduction kind of of the the B plot with Lindsay, where she's given up on the beads business altogether <laughs> because Tobias has come into some money. Um, a book that he wrote called um, "The Man Inside Me" is apparently <laughs> now a bestseller, um, and. Uh, we see Tobias and Lindsay kind of rattling parts of the house. It's almost like breaking it, basically. Um, and Tobias, you know, saying that he's gonna he's gonna run upstairs and and uh, run the shower and 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 see if it's too loud from the kitchen. <laughs> Such a I don't know why you'd want to check that. Um, but you know, Tobias tells Michael that he he's the breadwinner, and he says, "I was walking in a strange place today, a place I'd never set foot in before." And. The narrator corrects him. Tobias, walking down a street he'd been down many times, saw a book he'd written years earlier as a psychiatrist. The book, initially unsuccessful, had suddenly caught fire. Although, strangely, only in the gay community. And obviously now, you know, Lindsay is... Um, Michael kind of... He was almost willing to encourage her to, in, to kind of invest in beads in some way. Which I thought was quite nice because obviously you know their relationship tends to be a bit combative, so it was nice to see him kind of willing to kind of take a a chance on her and kind of you know give her some money for this business. Um, but obviously now she's just going to give that all up and just have all the money from Tobias, <laughs> um, you know. Which uh, you know obviously uh, Michael says you work for like three seconds and then you find something that's easier and you just grab it. Um, and then, of course, we, we get a, a quick flash to uh, Dipper Pet. Um, and then, you know, um, this is where Michael, calling George Michael, finds out that um, he's gone on a date. And this is really weird because maybe seems very bitter about it. Uh, we don't get we don't get much maybe in this episode. In fact, this might be the only 
scene that we really get her in, apart from I think it you know, is, a couple yeah. of kiss, kisses with Anyong later on. Um, and she says she ha- she barely has a face. You couldn't pick her out of a lineup of one. <laughs> Which seems like a very kind of like Lucille kind of line to say um, about Anne. That is like quite a, a cruel thing. Um, but as Michael is waiting for George Michael's uh, joke about bananas um, to be on hindsight, he sees Trisha Thune uh, <laughs> in Iraq uh, with the troops talking about um you know the the damaged the damaged houses you know but she says a lot of this damage is just due to shoddy workmanship <laughs> uh, but the real surprise here is that these homes appear to have been american built to begin with and then obviously john beard reminds us there have been sanctions against doing business with hussein's regime since the early 90s so who built them and of course michael says does that look like our kitchen island <laughs> Um, and then Trisha Thune says, well, whoever they are, they're in a world of trouble. Um, and then we get a flashback, of course, to George Sr. saying, there's a good chance I might have committed some light treason. To which Trisha Thune says, this might even be considered light treason. <laughs> um, and I love I love how they tie that together, like with the kind of the editing of the flashback at that point, because, because it. Uh, it, like earlier in the season when George Senior said that it was just literally like one line and they haven't really revisited it in any kind of depth until this episode um, so it was nice that they kind of laid the breadcrumbs earlier in the season I was just interested in the phrase light treason I mean beyond <laughs> it just sounding funny what you know how do you carefully or lightly betray a country you know just a little <laughs> I only betrayed you a little bit that's a you minor know, just... it's a minor treason <laughs> Yeah, some minor harm done to the country. Don't worry about it. I guess it's li- yeah, I guess I it's light that. if no one if no one's been killed. I guess that's I guess that's the uh This is the, true. That's I guess that's the that's the determination. Did anybody get was anybody uh killed due to this treason? No, then it's light treason. <laughs> I think part of it is to do with the fact that he does business with Iraq. That is the light part of it. Like mm-hmm. if he'd actually sold secrets or anything like that, then that might have been a bigger issue. A heavier that treason. Might, that might mm-hmm. have been heavy treason, yeah. So, <laughs> but I don't know the exact definitions, but I like that um, that Arrested Development is kind of the the, the TV show that made light treason famous. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, Kitty meets with Job, making her way through the, uh, the, the Bluth siblings. And, um, and Job is asking... What about the hash browns? And Kitty says, no, because hash browns are potatoes. And Job is like, so you really can't eat anything on this diet. Um, and then he says, I wonder how it's going to affect my honey business. <laughs> His entirely uh, theoretical honey business. I don't know. And, um, you know. and then, of course, this is where he asks. Uh, what about macaroni? Let me finish. Salad. <laughs> and that, that's the first time he does a, that's the first time he does a let me finish. And he will he will do that in a number of episodes um, in the future, including possibly my favourite of all time, which is I call it tricks. Let me finish around the office. Um, <laughs> oh God! As though people don't let Job finish. I don't know anyone who goes around interrupting Job. He just finishes anyway. Um, <laughs> And Kitty tries to convince Job that he should, you know, take control of the the Bluth company. And, you know, Job says, 
this is a side I, I've never noticed before. Have they always been that big? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so once again, his mind is definitely not on taking over um, the company. Um, and we also get revealed in this episode, uh, there's been a few hints throughout the season that Lucille might have been more involved with the the day-to-day running of the business and, and the light treason therein. Um <laughs> But we actually find out in this episode, you know, how involved she is. But first of all, you know, we we find uh, <laughs> we find, we find out. Michael asks uh, about the Iraqi palaces and says one of them was the Sea Wind Unit. To which Lucille says, "That's funny. I always pictured Iraq being in the middle of the desert," <laughs> uh, which is such a kind of odd odd kind of joke about that. Um, and then, of course, this is where Michael says, "You know, there's been a lot of lying in this family." And a lot of love. Just says more lies. Yeah, uh, which is such a great exchange. And Lucille will, has said a lot of love a number of times during this episode, um, and I think even in might have been the second or third episode, maybe he was wearing a T-shirt that said a lot of love on it. Um, so obviously, it's something that's common. But I, I love how. You know, Lucille attempts to paint herself as being innocent, saying that she, you know, that um, that George Senior used to come back from those business trips reeking of lamb and people were saying figs. Not even at Christmas, in the middle of October. And someone once sent him a toe and he went white as a sheet. <laughs> Let's see. What is in October? Is that, I think maybe, it's around maybe, not Ramadan, Eid? It's like some sort of like Eid. Islamic holiday. So like, here you go, some figs. So that yeah. makes sense yeah. in the context th- of Iraq. Yeah, I think it might be one of the Eids. Because there's more than one Eid. <laughs> so it might be one of those, yeah. But I, I, I like how they kind of just, like, she kind of hints at stuff. But I think the toe thing is such a weird way to end that, that whole <laughs> thing. And when we find out later on in season three what had actually been going on, I don't know why anyone would have sent him a toe. <laughs> Um, but you know, maybe someone just having who, fun. Who knows? It may not even been related to the to the house selling thing. It might have been <laughs> something else entirely. We never find out. <laughs> and then this is where we get Job walking in on Kitty's urging. He's going to try and take over the business, and he does this really weird um, counting up. And the cameras circle around the two, like they circle around the actor as as um, Will Onette walks around Jason Bateman the camera kind of circles in slightly the opposite direction, which creates this kind of like really weird like effect. And then when his speech finishes, Michael lists his list and the camera goes in the opposite direction as, as Michael walks or as Jason Bateman walks around Will Arnett. <laughs> but it's so well choreographed um, though on the, uh, like the outtakes on the blooper reel um, where no one fortunately says faith is a fact. Um, you can see them trying to do this and kind of failing a number of times because obviously this speech is quite long. Um, <laughs> and a number of the scenes for this um, this final episode were shot very late at night, like two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, all the stuff that was like at the beginning where they were, they were in the model home was shot like really, really late at night and everyone was super tired. And on the commentary, they all point out how tired they were. <laughs> But yeah, so, I mean, here is Job's speech. Zero hour, Michael. It's the end of the line. I'm the firstborn. Sick of playing second fiddle. 
Always third in line for everything. Tired of finishing fourth, being the fifth wheel. There are six things I'm mad about. And I'm taking over. And it's just the way that he, like, kept... I think after the first born thing, he realizes, and then he's, like, with the second fiddle and third in line. He, like, he starts to realize he's counting up, and then by the time he gets to the sixth one, he, he doesn't really have anything but he just says there's six things <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is like the, 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 he'll do another really long speech later on but that's like possibly one of my favorites just because of how how absurd it is that he wants to take over the company and obviously michael lays out you know the stuff about you know his sister mother you can't trust a company whose founder may be on trial for treason is that what you want and of course job says uh, what kind of vacation time does it offer? <laughs> is... And then obviously Job decides that he has to kind of um, call Kitty. And um, and this is, of course, where he says the title of this podcast, which is... I've made a huge mistake. Um, and I think that's the last time he'll say that this season. But yeah, it's it's such a funny scene because obviously we get a little bit of a callback to this in a, in a couple of scenes time where Buster almost attempts to do the same thing. But he calls it off before making a big speech. But, you know, obviously Job is the kind of person who will make this big speech and then realise what he's getting into and then kind of back out of it. <laughs> and we get we find out why Tobias's book has been such a success in the gay community. It's worth noting that amongst the crowd of people there to see him give a book reading is the guy who was in the pilot holding the sign that says Freedom. And he's been in a number of episodes since... Mostly episodes uh, that are set in areas of the gay community, holding the sign Freedom up. Um, he's still dressed the same as well. Dressed the same as he was in the pilot, which is weird that he's always dressed the same way. Kind of, uh, kind of piratish. I don't know, I guess that's his look. And Tobias explains, for the ease of the reader, I have changed all the gender-related pronouns, he, she, to the masculine, he, the man inside me, for Lindsay, my rock. I could not have done this without him. <laughs> So dumb. <laughs> you would expect that the 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 dedication page could have dedicated it to someone with the correct gender, but this is something that Tobias has done all season, basically, where he keeps changing or choosing the wrong gender pronoun, and mostly he does it by changing it to the female, like where he says he he feels like a Mary without a Peter or Paul, you know, where he has the option to. <laughs> choose a male pronoun he seems to go for the female pronoun and of course when he was uh, in charge of the play he he swapped all the parts around so that he started referring to Steve Holt as she and saying I don't know what her problem is um, so it does kind of fit with the fact that he would change all the pronouns but I would have thought that he would have changed them all to she uh, but I guess that wouldn't have worked for the joke mm-hmm. um, and then obviously we, we get to the kind of the end of the book where it says there's a man inside me and only when he's finally out can I walk free of pain? Which I think is the most direct. Now, to me, that seems to be referring to more than one thing. It seems to be referring to Tobias outing himself, but also something else um, involving his sexual act, maybe. Uh, definitely, definitely, there, relate, really. definitely relating to outing himself, let's say. so. Yeah. Uh, but I love how um, the character who has a full name... James Allen Spangler says this book is going to sell like a billion copies, which seems very <laughs> optimistic. And Tobias says, you know, I was hoping for more women. Perhaps I shouldn't have just used he. <laughs> uh, and you actually see some of the people who've been listening to Tobias kind of intently 
kind of getting disgusted when he starts hugging Lindsay and kind of walking out in disgust, which I thought was kind of like an interesting um, kind of background joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where um, Tobias, um, you know, Lindsay says the relationship's not going to work. And Tobias says, we've had some great times, which we then get another cut to the footage not found um, (laughs) for the second time in the episode. And, you know, Lindsay says, we've got nothing left, Tobias. Uh, which kind of ties up what's been going on the whole season with them and their marriage, you know, and it being on the rocks, um, you know. Uh, so I think that's kind of like a, a nice kind of end to the episode. And obviously when we come back in season two, uh, they will fully explore having an open relationship. <laughs> um, which works about as well as you would expect. You know, we also get another callback here to the pilot where... You know, Michael asks his father if they they were building houses in Iraq. And uh, he says, do you know how they punish treason? And George Sr. goes, first time? And Michael goes, I've never heard of a second. Um, And this is where George Sr. says, I've got the worst attorneys. Which, you know, was a callback to what happened in the first episode before we'd even met Barry. But at least now we know when he says that. Uh, you know what he's talking about <laughs> and then obviously we, we find out that you know Michael thinks that Kitty thinks that it's all about unpaid taxes um, and I, I love how they, they do like um, a Gilligan cut where they go from George saying uh, what if she gives it to someone who's even moderately intelligent and the narrator says in fact Kitty had gone to someone moderately intelligent <laughs> and then we see Buster happily walk in for a date with Kitty and then obviously, you know, uh, this this is just part of Buster and An Young's kind of rivalry, um, where you know An Young is sitting a couple of tables away, and uh, he he says into a cup, "Dates not over yet, fatty," which is his uh, his dig at Buster. Um, but obviously, you know, Kitty is there to try and convince Buster to try and take over the company as she had done with Michael, which didn't work, and with Joe, which kind of was, you know, abandoned. We find out that George Sr. didn't shred the evidence. Um, something which, it, actually, in the pilot, he's on the phone saying to people, shred it, keep it, shred it, shred it, keep it. So he shredded some evidence <laughs> when he was arrested. Uh, but he didn't shred this evidence because Saddam Hussein owed the company money, which I think is kind of like... <laughs> A funny reason to keep the evidence. Um, And then obviously, you know, George Sr. says your mom had a good feeling about him. Yeah, I love that. That just says so. That just says everything you need to know about Lucille right there. That your mom had a good feeling about working with Saddam Hussein. Oh, God. Yeah, this is where we we we're basically being told that Lucille is kind of as culpable as George Sr. for the for the business, and Michael is angry. Um, and he's he goes to basically say that he's going to tell Kitty she can take the job and he tells him to take the polygraph test uh, because he's done with him and he's done with this business. Um, and that will actually become a bit of a like recurring joke in season two. <laughs> Michael saying that he's done with things and they're not being fully done with things. Um, and then obviously George Senior says, I'm going to get a lethal injection because my son won't eat a potato. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is, which is you know, a kind of great. And, uh, you know, he volunteers to take the polygraph. And I think this is probably in the entire, you know, obviously Barry says, did you swipe a sedative? 
Um, are you lowering your heart rate? So obviously they know how to fool the polygraph. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey Tambor gives a great performance as someone who is like pretending to be really patriotic. <laughs> um, as he get, as he goes, like he's strapped into the polygraph. Um, and it's worth noting that um, Matt Walsh, um, most most recently known for being on um, Veep, uh, along with uh, Maggie Liza, um, is the DA who is who is kind of doing the um, the polygraph test, and. Um, he, he he will ask he will ask uh, George Senior as he goes down um, <laughs> if he's guilty or not, which is a, kind of a funny touch. Um, but yeah, Jeffrey Tambor goes on this really long speech where he's saying, you know, mistakes were made, but I never intended to hurt anyone. I was just trying to support my family. Um, you know, I've let people down. I let myself down, but I love my country. Uh, I love it. Uh, you know, I love my country, and then he starts saying, "I can't breathe." <laughs> and then, you know, I also, uh, I also like that he, basically... I also like that he points out that you can shop here. That's just like that's like <laughs> that's like the best thing he can come up with to say about the country is that you could shop here, and and he, oh, he's yes. he's trying, he, he's reaching, but not quite there. That's the, that's the most positive thing you can think of to say about it. <laughs> yeah, and obviously Matt Walsh asks, you know, if it was a nod, and the poly the polygraph technician keeps saying no, and he's like, "Was it a nod? It was. It was it a nod?" <laughs> I love how they're trying to get his guilt as he falls to the floor, um, and you know, they call an ambulance and they go to the hospital, and we get to meet um, one of the founders of UCB, um, Ian Roberts, I think is his name, um, and he is playing. Possibly one of my favourite kind of small reoccurring um, characters, uh, which is Doctor Fishman, and he is better known to people as the the literal Doctor, um, <laughs> which is not. If in fact it's not completely like you know, um, the, he's the, you know the family all gather at the hospital and they've been told that he's stable, um, and obviously Lucille <laughs> Lucille blames it on the diet. I want all of you off this immediately. And then she looks at Lindsay and says... Except you. Um, <laughs> so even when there's a chance that George Senior might be dying, she cannot stop being cruel to Lindsay. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, Tobias turns up um, uh, and he's only really there because Dale, from the reading, is a nurse, so he's able to park right out front. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kind of, I love. I love how sometimes Tobias is not only just oblivious about his own sexuality, but about everybody else's feelings or thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Barry finds out he's got poison oak, and he's like, "How the hell did I get that?" And we get a quick shot of a, uh, a, a rest stop. Uh, once again, Barry's sexuality being kind of uh, <laughs> fleshed out a little bit there. And then obviously Buster, you know, looks for the chance to, uh, you know, his put Kitty's coup d'état in action. Um, and as the music swells, the narrator says, uh, you know, he decided um, he wasn't ready. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> up for it, basically. And he just goes, I need to make a telephone call and leaves. Um, and as he leaves, we get this wonderful shot. We get a wonderful shot of Will Arnett standing up in the middle of frame. And he begins yet another speech where he says, I'm in charge now. I speak for this family. I mean, I... I could, if you wanted me to. <laughs> I'd rather not, obviously. 
Don't know what I'd say. Why do I have to be the one? I don't need this. Why does this have to become my problem? No, I'm out. Forget it. Find somebody else. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of doing everything for this family. I love how Will Arnett manages to convey Job like wanting to take charge and then runs the whole gamut of emotions through to being done with giving so much up for this family, which he hasn't given anything up for them. You know, it's, it's just so weird. And of course, Barry just reacts to this by saying, where is Michael? <laughs> <laughs> and immediately Job turns on him. He's like, oh yeah, typical Michael not being here. <laughs> he wanted to be in charge not a second ago. And now he's like, yeah, where is the one who's in charge? <laughs> Yeah, and of course they figure out that nobody had called Michael um, because, I don't know, they, they just weren't thinking. Because why would they? Um, and obviously, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and obviously this is where Michael says to George, he says to George Michael, you know, pack your bags. And George Michael asks where, where are they going? And he says, anywhere, Joshua Tree, Space Camp, Baseball Hall of Fame, everything you and I have always wanted to do but haven't been able to do because of this ridiculous family. Um, and this is where... Um, George Michael, um, you know, he he says that he he likes the family, um, and again, this is another kind of scene calling back to the pilot uh, and the whole thing about you know towards the end of the episode where uh, they find out that, that the family are going to be staying in the model home and living with them, and you know, George Michael kind of doesn't really know his family before the pilot, but obviously in the kind of the twenty two episodes since then. He's really got to know them. And obviously there's one member in particular he would like to know even better, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, but I, 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 do, I do like that, you know, when George Michael is like, who's going to take care of these people? Michael is like, I don't know, the state or the police? Maybe the Magician's <laughs> Alliance will pick up some slack. I just quite like. And also I like how George Michael kind of defies his father a little bit when the phone rings and he says that, you know, that's going to be them. We're not answering it. And... George Michael answers the phone. And I think, you know, he does... It is kind of true that George Michael does kind of care for the family. And, he like, everything that Michael professes to do or everything that George Sr. wants his um, second oldest son to do, George Michael actually does. Um, and it's just one of those things that w where you see, like, the influence of George Sr. and always talking about family and... And Michael, kind of always talking about family, has finally gotten through to the kid who has both their names. And George Michael, you know, does care about the family. Uh, which is something we've seen in other episodes. You know, when Job asks him to do stuff, he kind of willingly goes along with it. When Maybe asks him to do stuff, he willingly goes along with it. Like, he's, he's, he's kind of one of the very few characters who will kind of do anything for anyone else. Uh, whereas most of the rest of the Bluths will kind of find any excuse not to do stuff for other people. Um, <laughs> or not, not without, so not without it, benefiting from it, at least in some way. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they go to the hospital and, of course, you know, maybe decides she's going to make someone jealous. In the pilot, she wanted to get the attention of her mother by kissing George Michael. Um, and here she... Um, she kisses Anyong in an attempt to make George Michael jealous um, but you know <laughs> George Michael doesn't even see it and maybe says that was a waste of time and of course uh, this ignites something in uh, in her uncle Anyong um, and then this is where we meet um, the, the, the second of the the UCB founders that are in this episode uh, with 
the literal doctor. Um, now, first of all, he kind of just he says he's hanging in there, um, and he keeps trying to take the IV out. So this obviously doesn't give away the nature of Doctor Fishman and his his um, his constant statements of stuff that will be kind of literal. Um, and then you know we get we get Job. Um, like Lindsay actually asks Michael, "Is he going to be all right?" And Michael says, "Absolutely." And then Job <laughs> says, "I'll handle this one, Michael." <laughs> and then I love, I love how he says, "It'll take more than a heart attack to kill that old bear." Old bear, he likes the honey. He never got a chance to see my bee business take off. <laughs> Just I, I, I love the whole calling him Big Bear thing. It's like I didn't even know we were calling him Big Bear. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, Buster, Buster isn't even aware of this nickname that Job had just made up. Like, just, but I love like, right Job. there, just like, like that minute. It's just so, well, he's Big Bear now. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, Job answers that by saying, we never had a chance to. Which is, <laughs> which is basically admitting that they've just made this nickname up for him. Sorry, I just realized that the way that uh, Job, as he gets more and more emotional about this recently created nickname, when he says, heart attack never stopped old Big Bear... It's the same way that the Bluth family, whenever they're in a heightened state of emotion, just loses all sense of grammar. Like, family love Michael. (laughs) 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 That's the only way they outwardly display their emotions, really. Or, unless you're Buster, in which case you just cry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, I I love that um, Michael starts by saying, um, I'm I'm very sorry, I, I feel awful, I should have been here. And then Lucille says, you should have been here. And Michael says, I feel like I already covered that. And Lucille says, no, you didn't. And they flash back to like 30 seconds earlier where he says, I feel awful. I should have been here. And it's such a, like, it's one of the few times where they really take advantage of the format that the show uses of this kind of like documentary type thing. And just, just calling a, back to something from 30 seconds And it's ago. such a great way to illustrate just the stupid shit that families argue about. It's like, you know, you go through your thing and the person, they still want to be mad at you. And they're like, well, you should have done this. Like, yeah, I said that already. <laughs> and then, and it's, still, <laughs> it's still not good enough for the other person. And if only you actually could show like a flashback reel saying, pointing out the exact minute where you said that. It would just be, it would just, you know, if only that was thing you could actually do in real life. I, I just love that part so much. Like, I feel like I covered that already. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because Michael kind of admits and he goes, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I didn't say it. But of course, we all know that he did. Um, and then this is where the literal doctor becomes the character that we know him as when he says, uh, excuse me, Mr. Bluth, we lost him. He just uh, got away from us. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, everyone gets quite emotional. And Michael says, can we go in there? And Dr. Fisherman, of course, says, if you want, there's not a lot to see. And of course, Michael says, maybe not for you, but for us. And then, of course, this is when they realize that George Sr. wasn't dead, but fleeing the country that he loved so very much. <laughs> and, you know, Michael finishes the season by saying, pack your bags to George Michael. <laughs> Something that always struck me about the literal doctor is that the Bluth family, for all that they are ostensibly very wealthy and are supposed to have the best of all things, they just have terrible people around them at all times. The doctor is horrible. (laughs) Barry's the worst (laughs) attorney. They just never get good representation. Yeah, they seem to be incompetent in choosing 
people to to consult them on important matters like like health and and legal advice. They just you know they're all as kind of shady as they are. Yes, yes. Well, and also Ira Gilligan um, stole all their money and ran off with it, and he was this their accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so. They just—they're really bad. They have really bad choices in, um, and even that one guy who was like blackmailing Michael over the sale of land, like even even Oscar sold what he knew to be worthless land to his nephew, <laughs> and and then basically hid from him and wouldn't give him the money back. So yeah, they just have a habit of picking people who are basically almost as terrible as them. In what was at the time a very kind of um, ballsy move, they they said. On the next season of Arrested Development, which at the time that this episode was made, I don't think they'd had the renewal. But by the time it aired, they had had the renewal for season two. Um, so putting that at the end was, you know, it's a bit of a risky move. Um, and we see everyone eating uh, as much carbohydrates as they possibly can. <laughs> uh, AKA a regular meal for me. Yeah, and uh, Job's like, why would a doctor say he's gone when he means he's escaped? <laughs> you know, it's the first of many times that they will have runs in with Dr. Fishman and they'll get angry over his phrasing. Um, you know, and then obviously maybe she sees what happened because she says he gave himself a shot to make it look like he was having a heart attack. How could they not see that? And of course, Ann Young says, maybe we should kiss again to teach them a lesson about obvious. <laughs> Quite so, no, I don't, I don't quite, know how good. I don't know what exactly what that means, but <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously, it's a callback to the pilot where George Michael, you know, suggested a second kiss to teach them a lesson, and maybe was like, "How would that teach them a lesson?" He was like, "I don't know." Um, <laughs> Jenga, Yahtzee. I don't know how um, powerful uh, maybe Funke's kisses are, but they seem to enrapture uh, various members of her family. Which I don't think they should, but you know. And then we get the final, the final callback to the footage not found as we finish the show with, and Kippy, Kitty helps George escape, <laughs> and then that's how the show, that's how the season finishes. So we've basically, been, I mean, it is quite true that for the start of season two, it will all be about George Senior's escape and Kitty helping him escape. So they basically set up what happens in. Um, in episode one of season two. So it's quite interesting how far ahead they were thinking, considering that at this point they didn't even know if there was going to be a season two. Uh, is there anything else that you think we need to discuss uh, about this episode? Um, I just think it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a good cliffhanger for a, uh, a sitcom. Um, usually sitcoms tend to uh, drag out a, uh, a a certain plot line this does a pretty this is a better a better job of you know kind of leaving you wondering what happens you know it, it ends like it's like a cliffhanger should where you're kind of excited and and eager to find out how this is going to get wrapped up or how this is going to play out so it was uh it, it, it that that aspect of it was done really well oh yeah just to sort of go back to how much lucille apparently hates Job. <laughs> if the bluth family is supposed to be sort of uh, the counterparts or like you're supposed to be able to switch them out for the Bush family here in the U.S. It just makes it so much funnier the way that as Jeb tried to run for president and tried to count on the support of his family and his mother, she made it very clear she did not care for him either. Oh, yeah, you could, yeah, you could, yeah. You could totally, yeah, you could totally picture uh, Job ending something with, please clap. Yes! <laughs> you could totally that was the most Job see Jeb that. Thing. 
Yeah, that was that's, that's yeah, a I think, very I, Job move. I think if if I think if Barbara Bush ever said I don't quite I don't care for Jeb, I would believe that as a an accurate quote. They don't want you. They don't want you. <laughs> yes. Oh man, just the little smile on her face, she would have it too. <laughs> and it should be noted that when we see the man the man inside me on sale um on Amazon, we also see a book uh called The Low Carb Gay Bi and Transgender Diet. <laughs> Uh, authored by B.J. Zuckercorn. <laughs> so obviously, oh, obviously, no. uh, Barry is branching out there. Um, yeah, um, I, I, yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it's I think it's a really good um, kind of uh, way to finish the season, particularly as it establishes what had been going on with, you know, Saddam and. Um, you know the what exactly light treason kind of means, and you know obviously dressing up the model home set as like an Iraqi home, and having Trisha Thune report from it, obviously is a good way to kind of save money in terms of like sets. But I think it's also quite a clever kind of inside joke, um, you know, about like the model home being because it's funny. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've said this at any point during the. The, the 22 episodes up to this point but obviously calling it the model home is a, a, pl- a kind of a play on how they're meant to be the model family that are inside the model home and obviously they are not a model family um, <laughs> the home is constantly I, falling I think, apart <laughs> yeah so I, I like i think that's all like quite a clever commentary on the family because obviously when we finish the season here you know i don't know where job is living quite frankly um <laughs> He keeps showing up in the model home, but clearly he's 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 not really living there. Uh, you know, Lindsay and Tobias have split up. Uh, Michael is leaving the model home. Um, you know, so like at the end of the season, not only is the model home falling apart, but like the model family itself that lives in this home is also falling apart. So I think I think that's kind of like a, an interesting little parallel that they they throw in there. Okay, well, let's move on to plugs then. Now, uh, Gina, you do a podcast with Patrick Hamilton, who, of course, was a guest in the very first episode of this season. Uh, Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, Yes, it is a podcast called Kill by Kill, in which we um, talk about... uh, We're we're starting with the Friday the 13th series, uh, in which we focus less on the plot of the movies and more on the characters, uh, which the, the screenwriters tend to neglect as far as develop them, developing them and making them you know, interesting or, or memorable in any way. Um, that, but uh, by the time this episode airs, we will actually, uh, around the same time, we'll have done an episode dedicated to Halloween. Um, probably more going to just kind of focus on uh, just over the overall series because we, we've discovered that Michael Myers isn't as creative in the various ways that he kills people as, as Jason Voorhees is. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you can find that on iTunes. Just look it up under Kill by Kill. Yeah, you can find me sort of bopping around the internet. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at that inner glow, where I post a lot of pictures of the rescue group that I work with for dogs. So you'll see a lot of puppies and also my face just sort of thrown in there. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, where I try to lure Idris Elba into giving me a piggyback ride for my birthday every year, that's A-M-B-R-R-R, burr, cold like my heart. <laughs> Okay. 
Um, now, uh, I don't think I have really mentioned that this much during this season, but you can follow us, uh, if you wish, on Twitter at a huge mistake pod. Obviously, we're on iTunes um, and various other podcasting apps. Uh, if you have any interest in anything that uh, I have previously done, then you can always find on iTunes uh, As If or um, The Cast Next Door, which was a minute-by-minute minute exploration of The Boy Next Door, or, of course, uh, A Talking Cast, uh, which is about the film A Talking Cat, uh, which is where I, I got into this podcasting game. Um, and also, returning in a couple of months' time should be Stage of Fools. I'm sure I will have episodes out of this by the time Stage of Fools returns, so uh, I'll be, no doubt, plugging that a little bit more. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, we'll be getting into Season 2. Normally, we've got two episodes out a week, but for this, I'm taking a break. And so you won't hear me again for another week. Uh, return with us next week to begin season two uh, of Arrested Development, um, which by the time season two started, it had won the Emmy for uh, Best Comedy. Uh, and then, of course, Fox failed to do anything with that. <laughs> Shocking. And, <laughs> and by the following by the following February, the show was gone. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know. Unfortunately, like with each episode, I feel like I'm getting closer to the end. Um, at this particular point, it's worth noting that I'm almost halfway through the show. Uh, there are only 53 episodes, and with this being episode 22, uh, that means in a couple of weeks' time, I'll basically be halfway done with this, uh, which feels too soon. I say halfway done, halfway done with the original episodes. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I may or... I may or may not bother covering season four. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about season four. I'll have to watch it again, and I'll have to figure it out when I get there. But uh, otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.